and welcome to Outrage and Optimism, a new podcast about dealing with the climate crisis and remaking the world. I'm Tom Rivet Karnak. I'm Christiana Figueres. And I'm Paul Dickinson. Today, we turn our attention to the EU. European leadership has always been critical to dealing with the climate crisis, but just last week, the EU failed to put in place a net zero by 2050 target. We discuss what happened and why, and we talk to Miguel arias Cañete, the man who, as European Commissioner for Climate and Energy, has been responsible for the last five years for climate strategy across 28 countries. Thanks for being here. So today we're going to talk about the EU, and it's been an interesting couple of weeks across Europe. Uh, Two weeks ago, we spoke to Prime Minister Theresa May, who had just recently implemented a net zero by 2050 climate change target for the UK. And we spoke confidently at that time that the European Council would take that target and adopt it across all of the member states of Europe. Now, what we saw happen was that they were unable to implement that. And we'll speak to Commissioner Kenyette later about what happened. But let's just start with why that was impossible and where we go from here. So let's let's start with why it's actually important and why it's difficult. So it's important because um, as we had discussed in the interview with Prime Minister Theresa May, Many nations have a decarbonization target that goes to 80% or 85%. And just psychologically, everybody wants to be in the tiny little percent, whether that's 10 or 20 or 15, that is not being decarbonized. And so it's very important to take that to 100% so that everyone knows there's no exception going to be made. It's going to be net zero, not zero, but still it's going to be 100%. So that's why it's important just to get it very, very clear that there is a clear expectation of every sector, every city, every company, every individual to decarbonize. And that's what what science demands as well, right? And that's what science demands. Yeah. Now, it's difficult because, honestly, no one can really tell you how they would do that. Hmm. You know, we we in in principle we know that it might be possible, but no one can has true clear visibility from where we stand right now in 2019. No one has clear visibility about how they would get to a net zero economy or a net zero if they are a corporation or a city um, by 2050. So that's why it's difficult because it is a leap of faith. Finally, Mm. it is a political signal that sends a strong signal to the market to say, this is where we need to be. This is where we want to be. This is where we are going to be. Now get with it and put your little innovation caps on and do whatever necessary changes have to be done in order to get there. But it does require a leap of faith. So that's that's interesting. But the you know the the policy is supported by technology changes that give people a sense of where they can go, right? So people don't know quite what it will look like, but they know that it's important, and they know that the some of the steps are in place already to take us from here to there. So so let's just talk about the EU. So so it, given that, and given that the UK was able to step up to net zero by twenty fifty, why couldn't Europe do the same? No, there was a small group of um, of EU countries that thought that they could do it. Oh. Um, I, I believe it was eight, but I'm happy to be wrong. Um, but over the space of a couple of weeks, that actually grew to 24, hmm. 24. Right. And then there was four that... And there were four that couldn't do it or said that they couldn't do it. 
Uh, and the four are, you know, pretty well predictable uh, southern European countries who are very cold dependent and who frankly have always had a hard time with climate policy. This is not the first time. They've always had a hard time with climate policy because they're very coal dependent. They have many jobs in coal. Um, they, um, they understand themselves to be um, pressed Un, unduly pressed by the uh, Northern Europeans to move in a direction that they don't feel comfortable. And in the end, what they were able to do was to make a note of the fact that most countries would be able to do it. They put it in a footnote, very clear, a very typical uh, <laughs> way to, uh, to treat a statement. But the negotiations continue. And honestly, it's going to be a matter here of offering those four countries uh, enough of a financial and technical bridge for them to move over to the net zero. But I'm absolutely sure that that's going to happen. You know, they, they are going to get there and they're going to do that. The EU is going to come together around this and, and having made the, uh, the the necessary accommodations Christiana described because of something actually I heard you say in an interview just a little earlier today, Christiana, because climate change is increasingly showing uh, itself to be something that can pull people together rather than pull them apart. You know, you get to a tipping point whereby it's actually in everyone's collective interest to come together. And I think that's one of the most exciting things that's happening at the moment. Uh, and the, I think the EU will get there on this and it will set the tone for the world. So are you seeing, Paul, do you think that this is drawing the EU together? Yeah, I do. Think. And I also actually applaud the leadership of Theresa May, you know, the, you know, from a slightly questionable EU member going through a rather difficult moment <laughs> when she calls net zero 2050. I'm sure there's no direct connection, but I think it, it probably helps the EU recognise that, you know, if it is to mean something as a collective entity, it needs to come together to show leadership. And I'm sure it will do. It's kind of a brilliant move by Theresa May, right, to actually sort of like, you know, go through this whole Brexit mess and then say the UK is going to go out in front on this particular issue and pull the EU towards towards the UK. Well, and, and you know, if we think um, next year, right, let's assume that Brexit goes through. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, no, but let's just make that assumption, okay, you know, just, just deal with it. So in 2020, we will have a UK that is outside of the European Union. And the UK, with its 2050 target, will have to look for very important allies to um, support the position of net zero by 2050 because the UK will host the Conference of the Parties of 2020. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important deliverables there will be a critical mass of countries assuming a 2050 net zero goal. So the UK being outside of the EU will have to work very closely with the EU, will have to work very closely with China, will have to work very closely with India. Um, and depending on where Canada comes out on its, uh, on its election, perhaps with Canada. But the EU remains the most important ally for the UK post post Brexit. Um, and therefore, it's very, um, it is very critical that the UK show the leadership, but work with the UK, mm. with, the, with the EU. Because let's remember that the two countries that were from a big political, strategic political position um, in the leadership for the Paris Agreement was the United States and China. 
And if they hadn't come to agreement with each other, we probably wouldn't have had a Paris Agreement. Well, the United States is not going to be on board with the increase of ambition that we need for next year. So the UK hosting that meeting and having to deliver a success will have to use other allies. Hmm. And their other allies are going to be definitely the EU, China, India, maybe Canada. And do, do you think, um, and this is slightly in the weeds, but my memory of the UNFCCC, and at your instruction, I never really understood anything about the negotiations and was always focused on other things. Um, but my memory... You, was, you never even learned the lingo. Well, that was your... You, you specifically uh, told me not acronyms. to learn any acronyms. You never learned the acronyms. Right, I think your very first instruction was, <laughs> I want you to come and if you learn anything about the negotiations, right. I'll be very disappointed. That's right, that's right. That's right. Um, but, but the one thing I did learn was that Uh-oh. the EU negotiates as a block. Now, the yes. UK leaving, do you think the UK will still negotiate in the climate? No. It'll be separate. It'll be separate. Right. That's okay. what I mean. That they're going yeah. to have to use the EU as a very powerful ally. And they can't have a successful COP unless they've got a very good basis of that conversation. Absolutely. Right? Interesting. Just one more little bit of good news for listeners is that uh, if you've been watching the Democratic uh, primary discussions, some of the candidates to replace Donald Trump, and there's a good chance one of them will be president, we're nearly all mentioning climate change yeah, and true. taking radical action. So the EU, the USA has gone from being like far behind on this debate to certainly on the Democratic side, catching up and seeking to kind of assert, you know, there is a real competition for leadership there. So we could see the USA coming back big time under a Democratic president, and that's exciting. But not until 2021. So this is the thing. The UK cannot use the USA as a big ally next year. Yeah. We will have to wait for that. Although if there has been an election... It's still a lame duck. We'll still have the same Trump administration. But, true, but I remember in Poznan when Obama had been elected and even though George W. Bush was there, it totally changed the tone of the negotiations. It changes the tone, but it can't change their position. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the U.S. for a moment, because the other thing that's happened this week... Must is, we? Is, well, yes, just for a moment. I'm afraid so. Is, um, is the G20, um, or the G19, as it turned out to be with the statement. So there was a statement on climate change from 19, with uh, the U.S. not participating in that and putting additional information... Sorry, Tom, what is the G20 and what is the G19? Well, so the G20 obviously is the 20 largest economies in the world and the G19 doesn't exist except for when they sign up to a climate change statement and the US excludes itself. Like last time when they asked the US to please go to the bathroom. Right, well, they were sent to the bathroom again this time. <laughs> um, the, the interesting thing about this was that the US appended some information where they said the US rejects the Paris Agreement, but that the US is a world leader in reducing emissions, which well, was- Well, haven't you noticed? Well, it's very interesting that he, they choose, that the White House chooses that they need to say that in that context. If they don't care about climate change, they don't believe in it, why do they need to say that? Well, maybe because they're getting the memo. <laughs> maybe, well, that would be good news. Maybe they're getting the world's memo. I mean, this is a game I see intelligent people around the world play, which is like, what is the Trump administration up to? And seeing as I don't think the Trump administration themselves know, I can't imagine that anybody else has any idea either. That's a fair comment. <laughs> right. So, um, Christiana, you are about to go on train. We're in London at the moment, go to Brussels, and you're going to do multiple things there, including sit down with Commissioner Kenyette. Um, what are you going to ask him? Well, I, I do want to ask him his sense of um, how difficult or easy is it going to be to um, to get um, the EU to commit to 2050. Um, I'm also going to uh, to Brussels for a, a mocha. Do you know um, what a mocha is? A type of coffee? 
Well, yes, also. Okay. But it's also the Ministerial on Climate Action. Right. And it is uh, a ministerial meeting with about 40 ministers who come together to discuss where they are on uh, climate change. And it's hosted by, very interestingly, China, EU, and Canada. Hmm. And it used to be, this kind of meeting used to be hosted by the United States and convened by the United States, but in their absence, these other leaders have uh, have stepped up. So it's it's very interesting how, you know, when one steps out, others step up. Hmm. Nature abhors a vacuum, I'm told. Very nice. Well, um, he's a very interesting man. I mean, I remember he's a huge character. I remember in the Paris negotiations, he played such an outsized role. And really, he has probably one of the top three jobs in the world in climate negotiations. Hugely important coordinating the entire EU response. So I'm sure that would be a fascinating conversation. Um, so let's let's go and do it. And he comes from Spain, my other mother country. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Arias Cañete, thank you very much for taking the time in your last few uh, working working minutes here um, before new parliament uh, next week. Thank you very, very much for that. Um, Commissioner, we're in a very difficult moment in the climate negotiations and in the climate regime and the advancing in which I would say we are both pursuing long-term carbon neutrality targets on the parts of regions and countries, but we're also pursuing for next year shorter term increases in the nationally determined contributions. And interestingly enough, there is a tension between those two uh, because some countries feel more comfortable in adopting a long term, some countries or regions feel more comfortable in doing a shorter term. But the fact is, unless we have ambitious enough shorter term targets, the long-term carbon neutrality by 2050 is impossible. So both of those have to go hand in hand. What I would like to invite you to discuss is these two, but separately first, the net zero or the carbon neutrality by 2050, which you intended and and fought quite valiantly for um, in the EU. Um, And yet that was just a few uh, days ago relegated to what I would say a footnote in uh, in the agreement. So first, I just want to get some sense from you um, as to what is the future of uh, of a uh, of a commitment to carbon neutrality on the part of EU by 2050? Well, I think that the, the last European Council was extremely important in the pathway of the European Union to adopt this kind of uh, climate neutral strategy uh, for 2050. And it was because what happened there is that 24 countries endorsed the objective climate neutrality. Mm -hmm. And there are only four countries who have asked for more time and to have a better understanding of the Mm -hmm. impacts of climate Mm -hmm. neutrality and what the uh, instruments that they will be um, asking to be available in order to make a fair and just social transition. Mm. So the European Council, what they decided is to instruct the Commission to prepare an enabling framework so that the countries who will have would be more impacted in these uh, climate-neutral scenarios uh, can accept the strategy. So I am absolutely confident that in the next meetings of the European Council, we will have a full endorsement 
of this uh, climate neutral statute. Because you need the full endorsement, right? You need unanimity, actually. We need unanimity, and, and but that's the beauty of the exercise. That is the beauty. If you reach unanimity in the European Council, you have a very powerful instrument to inspire all your policies and establish the direction of travel. When I started this process, first of all, um, I had to, to, to fight within the, uh, the College of Commissioners uh, to, uh, to, to put on the table uh, climate uh, neutrality scenarios. It was done, and to my surprise, with uh, lots of support of the College of Commissioners. And when we start discussing this in the different formations of the uh, Council of Ministers, whether it was in environment, in energy, in transport, in, at the beginning there were only eight countries supporting this. But there was a major change. I think once in the, in the meetings that the Germans organized, the so-called Peter Dialogue, mm -hmm. Chancellor Merkel said that Germany would endorse also uh, climate neutrality by 2050. And then now we have 24 countries uh, accepting that we have to fully decarbonize our economies, that we have to produce electricity with clean energy, that we have to use, have sustainable transportation, that we have to reduce emissions in the agriculture sector, uh, that we have energy to... Energy efficiency that you've been also Energy fighting. efficiency is, is our main principle and the most difficult policy, I must say. Mm -hmm. So, for me, it was it's extremely important that we succeed endorsing this study and that we go to the United Nations in 2020, putting on the table that the European Union will be the first major economy becoming climate neutral in 2050. Because that's extremely important. Because the, the, the world needs examples. Exactly. If we think that it is achievable and we are able to develop the technologies needed, the rest will follow us. Yes. So at a moment in which we have all the uncertainties, what the United States will do or not do, at a moment that people um, don't know if the technology will be available, it's extremely important that the European Union comes forward with this. And I am pretty confident that there is a very limited uh, uh, walk to cover at this moment towards the long-term vision, and that the Commission will put on the table the enabling um, frameworks. By next year? No, no. We will no put this it, year, but we to have take to put it to the UN in, this year? Immediately so that we adopt the strategy this year, and we go with the final product to next year next to the year. UN. Before September, is what, what are you planning for the SG Summit? Well, in September, we are going to, in, in, in the Climate Summit, we are going to explain where is the European Union with, with action, mm. because we are in a unique position. We have a very ambitious uh, target to reduce our emissions by more than 40%, at least 40%, mm -hmm. uh, compared with 1990. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and we have all the legislation needed already approved. Exactly. And enforce. Yes. Uh, but in addition, we have established a system of governance to make sure that the member states uh, fulfill the, the targets. And we have national integrated, for the first time, climate and energy plans uh, in which the member states put all the measures needed to achieve the targets. So we are extremely serious with our commitments. We have ambitious targets. We have full legislation. And we will have the strategy that will inform the um, periodical review of the level of ambition. In our legislation, there are, uh, there are embedded review clauses for the ambition in renewables, for energy efficiency, for reduction of emissions in the sectors of transport, agriculture, buildings and waste. So we have a, or for raising the, the, the targets of CO2 targets for cars, light vans and heavy duty vehicles. We have a whole toolkit um, mm -hmm. of measures 
and plans approved by the member states. So that gives us, with the current policies as they are, mm-hmm. we will be in 40, more than 45%. More than 45%. In 2030. Yes. And if we maintain the same policies until 2050 and change, which will not be the case, we will reduce emissions by 60%. So there is a long way to cover. Mm-hmm. But we have a track record uh, of seriousness in these issues because we committed under the Kyoto Protocol to reduce emissions by 20%. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, since uh, 1990 uh, to today, reduced our emissions by more than 22%. Even our GDP grew by 58%. So we have the couple, economic yes. growth, from emission reduction. But that was the speed of travel then, with 22 points of reduction of emissions in less in 20 years. What we are proposing now is to increase it to 23 additional points, to make a similar effort, but in 10 years. So we are accelerating the rate of action, reduction emissions, in order to comply with the pathways that the IPCC a special report on 1.5 put on the table. And you can accelerate because technology is accelerating, because you have accelerated policy, and because capital is beginning to shift, all three together. For sure, because the, the, the energy transition requires huge investments. And that's why we have decided, and first of all, from the public uh, sector, that the next uh, multiannual financial framework of the European Union, that's the budget from 2021 to 2027, at least 25% of the budget is dedicated to climate action. So we'll have from the European budget lots of funding. Also, we will have the, 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 the European Union investment fund, which will mobilize more than 600 billion euros, and part of it will be also for climate finance. And we have a specific funding for innovation, modernization. So we have an array of public tools. And for that, we have, had, we have established a very stable regulatory framework. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have uh, regulated the electricity market. We have changed the electricity market design to make it fit for renewables. So we have made a whole overhaul of our systems to make to be more have more effect the policies we have on the table. So uh, as a whole, this this last three years. Um, there has been lots of activity, and we have been extremely lucky that the European Parliament has, has shown even more ambitious than the initial proposals, and that's why we have finished with a with a legislation that, instead of delivering 40% reduction, delivers more than 45%. And, and you're getting a European Parliament that could actually be even more ambitious than the one that is finalizing. I think the European Parliament will be more ambitious, and the future Commission has to be more ambitious because the climate debate a few years ago was not in the front line of the political debate. In the European elections five years ago, nobody spoke about climate change policy. There were some people were criticizing eco-design if we were regulating uh, how uh, domestic appliances work and so on, but there was not a debate on uh, on the impacts of climate change in, in, in the planet. On it wasn't front and center on planning. No, even it was absolutely absent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. So but, what has changed? It has changed that during these days, these years, um, with the uh, work under the Paris Agreement, the Paris Agreement was a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Having the first binding global multilateral climate agreement 
people acknowledge that we were going to give a global answer to a global problem mm -hmm. uh, for the first time. And, they, they, and, and also the, the impacts, um, the real impacts that climate change, uh, that the increasing of temperatures are happening, okay? the, 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 the people suffer the impacts of climate already. Yes. We have seen fires in Sweden, uh, we have seen extreme temperatures in, 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 in the month of Droughts. June, in July. So people acknowledge that this is a real phenomenon. Yes. And in the European elections, all the candidates, all the candidates were putting climate policy at the front of the political debate. So there was a huge political debate and everybody committed to go in the direction of more ambitious climate policies. And it will show with the new parliament. So I expect that there will be a good political atmosphere eh, to increase uh, uh, ambitions, ambition over time. So um, it's a quite different scenario than five years ago. Very different. Um, do you, and I think several things probably contributed to that. One is the experience that we're all having, certainly the fact that the solution space is broadening because of more technologies. Um, what about civil disobedience? What about children in the streets, particularly in Europe and other places also? What about the Extinction Rebellion in the UK? That has had quite a bit of an impact in, in the UK. Is that, does that also reverberate here in the halls of the EU Commission? Well, we, we always try to listen what happens uh, in the society. And I think it's good that young people go to the streets and, 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 and ask the politicians to be audacious, audacious and, and, and brave defending the planet. Eh? It also needs to be explained what we are actually doing, because many people don't acknowledge what has been done and how we have Indeed. prepared the European Union and other countries. China are working very hard on it to fight global warming. But it's pretty clear that the, 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 the fact that young people uh, place climate change policies at the top of the priorities is very positive in the in the political debate. It has had an influence in the European elections, mm -hmm. and we have an impact in the policies we are going to develop. Um, we have to listen what the, what the street says because um, fighting global warming, apart from using technologies and, 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 and all the legislation we have, what we will need also changes in the behavioral patterns of the citizens because the energy transition. If the if, if the role if the main role is not taken by citizens, it will not will not fly through. People will have to change the way they transport themselves, the way they consume energy, eh? the, the, the lots of attitudes, the, the way eh, they try to uh, to use uh, domestic appliances, which are much more efficient. So it's also a change in behavioral Absolutely. patterns. And this fact that in the, in the streets um, the young people are claiming for for climate action. Is, for a, us, is a welcome for pressure. Us, uh, for me, it, it, it's, it's a welcome pressure. Yeah. It's, a, it's a demonstration for a positive cause. Exactly. And for us, and we have yeah. to listen, react, and be as, as bold as possible. We, we have tried to do that in the next five years, in the next generation of uh, commissioners who will come and parliamentarians. We have to, to also continue listening and improving the, the policies. So in the EU, we're already, fortunately, or maybe we should have done this, decades ago, but we are now finally at the point where climate change is no longer a divisive issue between political parties, because we're basically putting climate change above politics or above partisan politics. My question is, do you think we're also at the point in which we're beginning to understand that, yes, while climate change is a threat, addressing climate change is a huge opportunity 
are we finally beginning to change that mental paradigm where we understand that through addressing climate change, we're going to get more livable cities, better transport, more energy independence, more job creation. Do you think that we are at an inflection point in which there is more public understanding of the opportunity of addressing climate change? I fully, I fully think that that is so. There is a better understanding and also um, politicians, as they are tackling the issue, they start to know the issue. Mm -hmm. Because climate change was something for experts, uh, right. uh, very hidden. Now it's in the front pages, now it's in the... It's in come the, out of the closet. Out, <laughs> it's come out of the, of the glass hat and, it, and it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. And when you go out of the comfort zones and go to explain people what's happening, this is a positive story. Mm -hmm, exactly. uh, fighting climate change is a very positive story. Mm -hmm. In the European Union, we import fossil fuels at a price of 300 billion a year. And we give, in addition, fossil subsidies to fossil fuels more than 55 billion a year. We have an energy dependence enormous. And, and sometimes countries depend on a single supplier of, of, of gas. So becoming energy efficiency, um, producing energy with renewables, uh, it, it creates lots of benefits from security of supply, energy, domestic generated. energy, local energy, energy efficiency, retrofitting buildings, exactly. gives work to small and medium-sized co companies, mm -hmm. local jobs and growth. So this is a huge opportunity, and, 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 and we estimate that going climate neutral will increase the, 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 the GMP by 2.8%. So as a whole, the economy will grow and employment will grow. This is not... Uh, a win-win. Uh, it's a win-win. But it's truth that energy transitions and uh, to changing the, 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 the model, the, the economic paradigm, um, implies big changes. Mm. And not all the territories and, uh, and regions will, will, will have positive impacts. And that's why we say, when we, when we, start, when we have designed our uh, climate neutral strategy, we say that this has to be a, a socially fair and just transition because nobody can be left behind. And there will be an impact in coal mining regions or in the automotive sector which produces combustion engines. And there we will have to reindustrialize areas, uh, re go for reskilling and upskilling of workers and, and try to do a, 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 an intense the socially, uh, just, socially transition. just transition with the support. That's why uh, when we have debated at, at leaders level the strategy, there are some countries at the moment who are afraid of the negative impacts. What we have to make is build confidence, build trust, and assure them that they will not be left behind, that they will put the financial instruments needed so that the just transition mm. um, happens. Um, Commissioner, let's talk about leadership, because the EU has always been a leader, in, in large part thanks to, to you. Um, but you've also always found an ally in leadership. I would say at least in the second term of President Obama, the United States definitely stepped up to the plate and was on a par with Europe and with China. Uh, it is not no secret that the United States will not step up next year when all countries are expected to step up. China is my question to you. Do you expect the world to be led by the EU and China next year? I think that the challenge of, of, of climate change is global. We need everybody moving at the same time. This is not a problem of some countries having a leadership in, in action. Action has to take place in everywhere. all the parties and everywhere. 
and, and the responsibility we have is to make possible that developing countries engage in this action. We have a very close relationship with China, we have a very good uh, dialogue with them, we have uh, cooperated with them, uh, establishing a national uh, white carbon market because we, we were the biggest carbon markets of the, of the world, now China will be the biggest one, and we, we follow very closely developments in China. Uh, when the United States went away, we tried to, to have a, a, a close alliance with Canada and with China so that we could um, give support of the process of, of developing the Paris Agreement and finalizing the rule book and now the Article 6, nobody knows what Article 6, but we have markets mechanism, uh, which are fundamental for some developing countries. And, and I think that cooperation uh, should be maintained in the future. But the purpose of the exercise is not to be the most brilliant developing renewables or having the most energy efficiency system or uh, the, the capability of use hydrogen to eliminate emissions in, in, in energy intensive industries. No, the, the purpose is that we develop technologies that are competitive, affordable, and that all the world can use them in, in the future because global warming requires global answer. Right. And we are responsible of less than 9% of the emission. China can be the better of 30. There is a still for uh, 51 uh, in, em emissions, emissions out in, in, there in the world. So, so the challenge, the challenge is to continue this process because we have been in a negotiating process. Mm. It should be finished if we su succeed in Santiago. But then we have to pass from the negotiation phase to the implementation phase. Yes, and that is the challenge. When there, with peer reviews, with with, with sharing best practices. Uh, in a, in a non-naming, shaming way, we can see how the work is performing. We have done an exercise within the European Union to see how we were performing according to our targets. Eh? And, and I think we have to do it at world level, because we have analyzed ourselves and say, well, we are very good uh, we, 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 on, on reducing emissions, we go, we go reasonably well on renewables, but energy efficiency, we have a gap. I think this exercise... That and a huge have. opportunity. Uh, and it's a huge opportunity, because you, you increase activity, you increase retrofitting of buildings, you uh, start um, uh, developing eco-design for domestic appliances, and, and, and you reduce the consumption of energy by large. No, It's a win-win thing, but it needs to be shared worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, Commissioner, one last question that actually has to do with your personal trajectory. You're a lawyer by training. You started your profession, I believe, as uh, attorney general. Uh, in Spain, uh, you were Minister of Agriculture um, and Environment, I believe, um, and, uh, and your family comes much more from the agricultural uh, side of things. And then you came here to Brussels and you were landed with a climate change and energy uh, portfolio. And I would love to just have a, a quick view from you as that must have been an incredible journey for you to finally come here and be the European leader on climate change. How was that for you? Uh, when I was appointed commissioner and, and the president Juncker gave me the two portfolios, energy in the past was Germany who had it. Mm -hmm. And climate, it was Denmark. Mm -hmm. They say, well, I am a, a, a German, Dermo, <laughs> a, a, a Danish German commissioner at the moment. <laughs> but I didn't realize at that moment that Paris would be a success. It, 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 it was a game changer. Wait a second, Commissioner. You came here in 2014. 2014. You didn't realize in 2014 that Paris would be a success? I had the, oh, ye of little faith! <laughs> no, 
You no, know, because I, 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 I have. You joined us in Lima. No, I, no, I, I, I have been, I have been in, 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 in Doha. I, I, I have yes. been in Lima. Yes. And, 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 and I have the pictures of, of Copenhagen. Remember what happened there, no? Yes, yes, we do remember. And then building on what happened in Copenhagen to achieve a result in Paris, and, and you were very instrumental on it, was not in my radar that it would be a huge success. Hmm. At the beginning, we, we worked that it was a success. You worked but, very hard But for we that. assumed that it would be extremely difficult to, to, to join forces with all the countries and, and have unanimity mm -hmm. uh, in the mandate. That, that, that right. year was a year because we had the Sustainable Development Goals. Yes. We have the Paris Agreement. Yes. And that was a year. But when I took my portfolio uh, at the end of 2014, I, 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 don't, I didn't think that the, the policies will evolve as fast. Mm -hmm. Because the, 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 having the Paris Agreement it triggered a, a, a big reform of our mm -hmm. electricity and climate uh, legislation and, 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 and a change in, 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 the, in the pattern. And also I must say that all the legislation we have passed has passed with overwhelming majorities in the parliament. Yes. So the support of the, of the parliament uh, was enormous and the opposition in, 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 the, in the council was minimal. So this has been a legislation which has have lots of support, difficult to, to elaborate, difficult to, to, to put in action, lots of nights in negotiations, as, as it happened as we know. in the COPS. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 in the end, it was worthwhile doing. But when it started, I, I couldn't assume that we will be here. Uh, I have been a politician all my life. And when you start your, 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 your tenure, uh, you, you explain your program to the parliament. You say, I will do this, 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 and this, and you say 25 things. Normally, when you finish, you have made 15, 16, 17. But here, uh, what I promise that I will do in my hearing, 100% fulfillment. Never in my life has How happened. How satisfactory. Because I am very satisfied because I had a very good team. Yes. I had a very good cabinet, wonderful director general, and I have been very lucky to prepare, very committed. Uh, without that, you cannot do that. Well, you have been extraordinarily, not just committed, but visionary and very, very hardworking, as I can personally attest to. So even though, my dear friend, Miguel Arias Cañete, even if you did have no faith in the Paris Agreement in the beginning, you were one of the most influential people for that success. So for that and for everything that you've done at the EU, thank you very much. Thank you, David. So that was a very interesting conversation with Commissioner Kenyette. Christiana, how did you how do you feel leaving that conversation with him? Well, I'm glad that he's still very optimistic about getting the EU around to uh, to 250 uh, net zero, um, because I mean, obviously he has to be optimistic. But I think he was very sincerely optimistic about being able to to do so, um, and um, and and the sooner the better. <laughs> As a very accomplished political operator and a very astute politician, it was great to hear him talk so clearly about how extreme weather is now informing the public debate but he also and impacting it considerably. But he also talked about how we need citizens now to take action in their part. But it was great to hear just him, him, him putting it together, that it is kind of coming together as all parts of society kind of wake up and, in Christiana's phrase, unify around climate change. Hmm. I think also, you know, we, we know quite a bit now about the internal workings of the European Commission, as well as multiple other governments around the world. And it's it's really hard to be in those roles for multiple years, to slog away, to affect change, to get people on side. And sort of hearing that conversation reminded me of just how hard it is. And, you know, 
people can go further and we always wish it was more but i feel really grateful to him and multiple others for the years they've spent doing this and they've done an amazing job no you're right and because it's not just about setting the targets then you have to actually buttress those targets with all of the regulations and it's pretty thankless most of the time thankless and he has spent years and years and years getting european regulation on vehicles on energy efficiency on renewable energy i mean honestly it is just you know it is very 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 difficult work yeah so thanks for listening to this episode of outrage and optimism this has been a great few weeks for the podcast and we've been doing interviews and receiving lots of feedback and comments from many of you we really appreciate that any issues that you want us to discuss people you want us to talk to we're always up for a challenge of trying to get to somebody so let us know what's interesting and we'll get on it So Outrage and Optimism is a production of Global Optimism. It is produced by Clay Carnell. The team includes Pete Cutton-Brock, Chloe Revel, Natasha Rivett-Karnak, Marina Mancilla, Alejandra Vargas-Morera, Callum Grieve and Zoe Cholakantic. I'd also like to thank Nigel Topping and Michael Northrup. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and please do subscribe. We'll see you next week. Music